Welcome to Immigration Nerds. This podcast is for everyone seeking the details, context, and facts behind the banner headlines on immigration. It's the podcast that gives you the latest on immigration policy and politics and the real world impacts on the people and businesses that make our world turn. If you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Brought to you by the nerds at Erickson Immigration Group, guiding clients and their employees through the complex immigration system for over 20 years. Hello, immigration nerds. I'm Lauren Clark, senior attorney at Erickson Immigration Group. I am a fellow nerd and immigrant and host of this amazing podcast. In every episode, we're joined by the smartest nerds in the know as we cover trends in business, culture, technology, and politics at the intersection of global immigration. Today, we're bringing you valuable insight and understanding of the new H-1B Domestic Visa Renewal Pilot Program undertaken by the U.S. State Department. For the first time in two decades, this domestic renewal option is now available. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll speak with Diane Holcomb-Geddens, former U.S. Department of State Consular Section Chief and current attorney here at EIG. But first, we bring you the latest immigration news you should all be aware of. And for that, we welcome back our news nerd-in-chief, Ericsson Immigration Group partner, Rob Taylor. What tops the news feed this week, Rob? Hey, Lauren. As always, it's good to be with you. We have some interesting immigration updates for this week. First, USCIS announced the H-1B cap lottery registration will be open March 6th to March 22nd. From that time, USCIS will then make sure that they uh, complete their selection process prior to April the 1st so that individuals selected can start filing their petitions. You know, Our listeners may recall we recently discussed proposed USCIS cap lottery changes. Well, USCIS announced that they will implement a unique beneficiary selection for this year's lottery. So what that means is that each beneficiary will be eligible for one chance at selection, uh, regardless of how many petitioners may register that beneficiary. So in layman's terms, essentially that means that while there might be 10 companies that register one individual, that one individual will still only get one chance at selection in the lottery. So this is significant because last year there were over over 700,000, I believe, registrations, and that means that many people registered multiple times. So the expectation is the actual number of registrations this year will probably be reduced by several hundred thousand and should give everyone a more equal chance at selection. Along those lines, though, it is still important to call out that individuals with a master's degree will still first be included in the master's cap, but then also be eligible for selection under the master's cap. So they do still get kind of two bites at the apple. Moving on from there, as far as like cases that are selected in the lottery, their petitions will be subject to new USCIS fees starting on April the 1st. And there are some significant fees for the I-129, which is the form filed in support of the H-1B. There are also some new fees, such as the asylum program fee that is required for employment-based applications. So overall, most companies should expect to see probably at least like a 10% increase in their overall government filing fee spend in 2024 as a result of these new fees that will take effect on April the 1st. So with all of these changes that are taking place, USCIS has also published a new I-129 and I-140 form that will be required by the government as of April the 1st. So as individuals are preparing their H-1B cap petitions uh, starting on April 1, it will be important that they use the most updated form to avoid anything being rejected or sent back by the government. And then finally, uh, more so on the humanitarian side, it was announced by the government that TPS 
for Syrian nationals will be extended 18 months until September of 2025. We can quickly kind of move over to the global side of things. Uh, just a few updates I think that are worth calling out. Japan recently announced a digital nomad visa for individuals from certain countries and also who have certain income levels. Uh, so that's a great new opportunity for people to work remotely from Japan for fixed periods of time. Poland also extended its temporary protected status for Ukrainian nationals until June of 2024, and that's also expected to be extended until March of 2025. And then in the UK, there were two updates in relation to employment visas. Uh, first is companies are no longer going to be required to renew their sponsor license, but that'll automatically be extended in 10-year increments. And then also the Home Office announced that there are going to be new salary requirements for skilled worker visas, which are kind of the main employment visa in the UK, those new salary requirements will go into effect on April the 4th. So companies should be aware of that as they're preparing and or making offers for individuals that might require visas there. Uh, that kind of wraps up the news for today. Um, you know, as always, we encourage our listeners to keep an eye on news updates on our website at eiglaw.com and also follow us on LinkedIn, where we also post a lot of uh, new and urgent material that might come up. Thank you, Rob. And now for a conversation with one of our own. Diane Holcomb-Geddens is Senior Managing Attorney, Consular Affairs at Ericsson Immigration Group. She is also a former U.S. Department of State Consular Section Chief with 24 years of experience leading teams responsible for interpreting and applying U.S. immigration law in South Asia, Europe, Latin America, and the United States. Diane, thank you for joining the Immigration Nerds Podcast. Oh, thank you, Lauren. So great to be here with you. Diane, to get started, I wanted to give a little bit of background about the domestic renewal program. And so as some listeners may be aware, in 2004, the State Department discontinued a domestic renewal of non-immigrant visas, primarily because of the passage of the Enhanced Border Security and Visa Entry Reform Act of 2022, which essentially required biometric identifiers. Diane, can you start by providing some context on how the domestic visa renewal pilot program that we're going to discuss today overcomes these prior concerns and essentially how it's able to be initiated now? Yes, of course. So in 2010, the standard that the department used to take by, you know, identifiers, they changed that to 10 fingerprints and a photograph. Because participation in the pilot is limited to those individuals who have submitted fingerprints in connection with their previous H-1B application, so they've submitted their 10 prints, they've submitted their photographs, they're eligible for the waiver of the in-person interview requirement, and they meet all the other requirements of the program, um, State Department believes that the concerns with compliance with the act are overcome by this program. And so understanding how the pilot program is going to address essentially the reason why it was discontinued in the past, let's give a bit of a big picture. What does the H-1B domestic pilot program encompass? So what they're looking at is they've, they've opened up this program to a limit of 20,000 applications. They're looking at H-1B applicants only who are renewing an H-1B visa that was issued overseas. So that's what the, that's what this is really looking at. It doesn't include any other visa class. It doesn't include so it doesn't include family members H4s. It also doesn't include people who are getting their visa for the very first time. 
And so I think maybe one of the biggest shocks or one of the things that, you know, people are clamoring about is the key part of the pilot is that numerical limitation of 20,000 visas. Can you walk us through how that numerical cap is going to work? Um, Because it is an understanding that it's kind of on a weekly basis, but also maybe elaborate as to how that limitation was decided. So what they're looking at, they wanted to get a good kind of sample size of applications. So of course, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of H-1B applications out there. So the pilot program is, again, limited to 20,000 applications. So each week, what the department is going to do is they're going to release approximately 4,000 application slots, and they're dividing it into two tranches. So 2,000 application slots for those whose most recent H-1B visas were issued by Mission Canada, and approximately 2,000 application slots for those whose most recent H-1B visas were issued by Mission India. So every week, they're going to open the portal and they're going to release those 4,000 slots. And then people will go in and take those slots and make appointments to send their mail-in applications in. Once they reach the 4,000, um, at the end, even if, if the week is not over, they will lock the portal and then reopen it on the next Monday. So this past Monday, January 29th, they did open the portal for applications. So people are submitting applications right now. Once they reach that 4,000 limit, they'll lock the portal, and then February 5th, it will reopen. So February 5th, they'll have it open, February 12th, February 19th, and February 26th. And so that actually leads nicely into kind of one of the second eligibility requirements was that it is related to H-1B visas only, who has had a prior H-1B visa being issued by Mission Canada or Mission India. Can you explain for our listeners what is meant by Mission Canada or Mission India? Yeah, they um, so Mission Canada and Mission India are the U.S. Embassy in Canada, the U.S. Consulates in Canada, and the U.S. Embassy in India and the U.S. Consulates in India. So that's what they mean by Mission India or Mission Canada. And another key part of that eligibility requirement is that there is a set time period in which your visa had to be issued by Mission India or Mission Canada. Can you tell us what that time period is? And then also maybe how does an H-1B visa check that they're either being issued by Mission Canada or Mission India and that their visa was issued within the time frame that's part of the eligibility? If you look at your visa stamp, you're going to look to see whether it at the top left of your visa stamp is going to say what the issuing post is. So you're going to make sure that that is either a post in Mission India or a post in Mission Canada. So that's, again, at the top left. And then below that, you're going to see the issue date. So for Mission Canada, State Department is looking at people who were issued visas between January 1st, 2020 and April 1st, 2023. So a pretty big amount of time. But for Mission India, their visas will have had to have been issued between February 1st, 2021 and September 30th, 2021. So if you're going to look at exactly when your visa was issued, it's kind of about in the middle of your visa stamp in your passport. You're going to look there and it's going to say issue date. And that's going to let you know exactly the date it was issued. And again, on the top left, that's going to tell you the post that it was issued at. And one thing that I think we'll probably reiterate here is that it's an issued date, not a validity date. I know that's one question that we've kind of seen come up is, well, if my visa was valid during those dates, does that mean I'm eligible? But we're talking to, as you just keenly highlighted, that it's the issued date. And then obviously, again, checking for Mission Canada or Mission India. 
If individuals, I guess, are unsure of their eligibility, even kind of with that explanation or you know, in relation to the other eligibility requirements, are they able to do a eligibility assessment prior to these application windows opening each Monday? Yes, they are. So they can go to travel.state.gov and they can put in domestic renewal in the search function. And that should take them right to the site. Um, The State Department has provided a site that is focused specifically on the domestic renewal program. And in the middle of that site, um, there's actually a questionnaire. So it says, am I eligible for domestic renewal? And you just hit on that button and you will toggle through the questions that will let you know whether you're qualified for the program or not. At the end of that questionnaire, they're actually, so now that the portal is open, um, at the end of the questionnaire there, um, if you successfully get through that and find that you are eligible, it will get then give you the links to either um, apply with the Mission Canada group or the Mission India group at the end of the questionnaire. And so with any visa application, there are additional steps that need to be taken, such as a DS-160, paying a visa fee, as well as gathering documentation in support of your application. Is it correct to state that those steps still apply to the domestic visa renewal program? And where do they fall in the sequence of steps that an individual needs to take? So what they're going to do is they're going to go and take the questionnaire on the site. Um, At the end, they're going to follow the link for whichever, if their visa was issued in Mission Canada or if their visa was issued in Mission India. They're going to follow those links. Once they get there, then they're going to follow the instructions for, I know for Mission Canada, you filled out, you must complete the DS-160 and you then confirm that you meet the program's eligibility and then you're given the option to sign up make an appointment, and schedule your appointment. For India, you're also going to follow the instructions provided um, in there, and you're going to fill out your DS-160. You're then going to create a login. Now, if you already have a profile, you can just log in with your previous credentials. Once that's done, you can pay the fee and schedule your appointment by selecting Washington, D.C. as your visa adjudicating post. So it's, it's actually relatively straightforward, but they are a little different depending on whether you were issued a visa in Canada or whether you were issued a visa in India. And those steps can be done prior to the portal potentially being reopened for next Monday if it does have to close this week. Um, You can kind of do those as preparatory steps to the visa application or the request for the actual visa appointment on the Monday. Yeah, you can. um, The questionnaire is open and it was opened before the portal. You also were able to fill out the DS-160 and select the U.S. domestic as your processing post. And that also opened right before the portal opened. So it's open right now, even if the portal closes. And so one thing kind of drawing this parallel between the domestic visa renewal pilot program steps, as well as kind of the general process of obtaining a visa stamp is that even though you can go through this process of doing self-assessment, obviously completing your DS-160, paying your visa fee, this doesn't guarantee visa approval. So the visa application is going to remain, remain to the subject review and adjudication of any visa application. For the domestic visa renewal pilot program, in the instance that a visa application is refused under 2021G or as the status remains unadjudicated, what options do applicants have? So if their visa package is returned and their visa is denied under 221G, then what will happen is all of that will will be returned to the applicant. 
Just so you know, the package will not be forwarded to an overseas post, so that applicant will have to go now and apply overseas. Unfortunately, they're going to lose the money that they paid for the MRV fee, so that money will not come back to them. But again, they will need to reapply overseas. And so understanding it is a pilot program, it's still going through the adjudication process. Has the Department of State indicated if there is an option to expedite the processing or potentially withdraw an application or appeal a decision where it's refused? The department has said that it's going to take about six to eight weeks for applications to be processed. So that's once the department gets your application, it's six to eight weeks. Um, There is no ability to expedite that, so they will not be taking any requests to expedite. So I've I've told um, I've told many people who have asked, you know, if if you you need to clear your calendar because it will be it will take six to eight weeks for them to process this, and unfortunately, if your visa is refused is and put into 221G status, there is no option to appeal it. It will just be listed as a refusal in your record. And there will be no way for you to find out, you know, they will let you know exactly what happened and why your visa, your application was not eligible for the program. But there will be no way to overturn that. And then as you previously noted, that doesn't preclude you from then requesting a visa from a consulate outside of the U.S., Exactly. Yeah. So you can then go, um, you know, overseas on your next travel to get your visa renewed overseas. But unfortunately, if you do have a 221G from the department via this program, you will not be able to use the Dropbox program because you will have a refusal that has not been overcome. And so as you indicated at the beginning of our questions today, the first application slot released was January 29th. What can you tell us that we've learned from this first release in terms of demand, the seamlessness of the process, and the system still operating to the volume of inquiries or applications? So we haven't heard anything from the department on how many people have applied in the first round, and we don't know if the department is going to release information on that. What we do know, though, is that unfortunately, the process has not been seamless, applicants have been a little bit confused about where the exactly the portal was and you know how to navigate the process so the department did not send out any notifications on how to access the portal and unfortunately applicants and many of us had to get engaged in a lot of trial and error to figure out how to submit their applications so there was also some confusion about the start time of the pilot and there was no correction or clarification by the department on exactly when the start time was. I've heard anecdotally that also applicants are having problems with payment, especially with the Mission India site. So they're unable to put in the U.S. credit card information. If they do, they get an error message. So they've ended up putting their Indian credit card information into the portal and then it's accepted. So that's some of the things that we've seen so far. Again, I hope the department will, um, you know, let everybody know how the pilot's going, how many people have applied, and we'll just sit by and, and wait for that. Well, as the name indicates, this is a pilot program. And so we understand that the limitations that have been put into this initial release of the program is done so that they can test the department's technical and operational ability to essentially resume domestic visa renewals more broadly. Diane, what can we expect upon the conclusion of the pilot program? Essentially, are domestic visa renewals for all non-immigrant classifications on the horizon? 
I think what they're going to do is they're going to review how the system held up with the volume of applications that they received. They're probably also going to look at the number of adjudicators that they needed to process the applications in a timely manner, and they're going to see if that was sufficient or not. I do hope that the department does expand the program. If, if the program works and people are able to renew their visas in a timely manner, I do hope that the department uses this as a tool in their arsenal because the backlogs overseas for H-1B applications and all other visa classes is really hurting the department and I think really hurting the morale of both people in the department, but also applicants who are coming through the system. So I do hope that they were able to expand it. There's no guarantees that the department will expand it, but I do hope that they do so in the future. Diana Holcomb-Geddon, Senior Managing Attorney for Consular Affairs at Ericsson Immigration Group. Thank you so much for joining us on the Immigration Nerds podcast. I look forward to having you back with us again soon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Nerds, you can find a link to the latest on the domestic visa renewal pilot in our show notes and at our Ericsson Immigration Group website, eiglaw.com. And remember, if you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Tell a friend and meet us right back here for another new episode of Immigration Nerds.